call it Dingo Static. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues. This episode is sponsored by CodeChip.com. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your tests pass? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied to a nice continuous integration system? That's CodeChip. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically. For fast, free continuous delivery, check them out at CodeChip.com. Continuous delivery made simple. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code RubyRogues, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 206 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Jessica Kerr. Saran Yitbark. Hey, everybody. Coraline Ada Emke. Hello from Chicago. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We've got a special guest this week, and that's Nick Sutterer. Hello. Uh, welcome, uh, America from Australia. <laughs> I, I hope you're on the beach. That's all I have to say. I'm sitting right at the beach. My toes are actually in the water, and uh, what you hear in the background is uh, crocodiles, alligators, sharks, and dingoes. No truck bears. <laughs> <laughs> kangaroos. Um, no, the kangaroos. Uh, it's too early for the kangaroos. They usually wake up after 10 a.m. Oh, I see. Lazy kangaroos. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Um, yes. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I live in Australia. Um, I'm from Germany. I write a lot of Ruby gems, and I just came back from a 12-week tour, uh, world conquer uh, conference thing, and um, that's why my voice is still a little bit rough. 12 weeks? Wow. Yes. Um, uh, what was planned to be three conferences turned into seven conferences, and um, it was great. I met a lot of nice people. Right, Coraline? And you also met me. Yeah, that's what I just said. <laughs> So uh, we brought you on today to talk about Trailblazer. You want to give us a quick rundown of what that is? Absolutely. Trailblazer is a um, collection of gems I wrote in the last couple of years and basically brings a high-level architecture to Rails. You're wondering um, what's a high-level architecture. And for me, that's um, everything that happens between the um, HTTP dispatch and the persistence. And this is where Rails leaves you completely alone. So I wrote a lot of gems and Trailblazer is kind of the um, umbrella gem to um, to give you that high-level architecture, or to give you um, a couple of more abstraction layers to model applications. Nick, what's the overall problem with traditional Rails architecture you're trying to solve with Trailblazer? So the problem is um, in Rails apps that, I mean, we're talking about conventions, but actually the conventions are minimized to uh, where do we put controllers, models, and like basically where do we put files, but what happens in the files um, is completely up to the Rails developer, and that Yields to every, like Rails apps, like, so the MVC components blowing up and actually every Rails app I've seen looks completely different. And so I'm trying to, with Trailblazer, I'm trying to introduce an extraction layers like form objects or representers to deserialize and render um, documents or um, view models. So I'm, I'm addressing the problem of where do I put this kind of code in Rails? 
So I've done some of this. I, you know, I've built my own form objects that pull in some of Active Model, and that way I don't have to rely on Active Record. Uh, well, I do, but basically the form object does all the work as far as munging, validating, all that stuff, and then it uses the Active Record models as kind of a an interface to the database, more or less. Is that part of the approach you're taking there, or...? Yeah, the form object is just one of the things in Trailblazer. The, the most important thing is that the entire business logic is taken out of the controller and taken out of the model, and it's pushed into a new abstraction layer we call operation. And then within the operation, you model your, um, your domain, your functions of your application, and every operation uses a form object. So the, the whole point is that we um, have this higher level of abstraction in a Rails app. So the form object is just one of the of the many things that help you to, to deal with um, everyday Rails or web application problems. What kind of things go inside the operation class, the operation model? And so you have an operation per function in your application, like um, show me that shop, follow, I don't know, follow that person, give me a list of all the um, users that start with A. So that goes into an operation, and the operation is deserialization of the incoming data authorization, and then um, validation, and then the business logic. But that all goes to different objects within the operation. The operation is just an orchestrating instance. And then the operation eventually uses models to persist data or to query data. But the, the model layer is completely up to the user. Like, it doesn't, Fredless, it doesn't care if you use an active record or whatever. Models are just one of the many objects used within an operation. So operations are essentially separating business logic from persistence. Kind of, yes. So one thing in Trailblazer is we have more or less empty controllers. Controllers are completely just reduced to um, HTTP endpoints. And models are empty and reduced to um, associations and finders. Yeah. So your business logic has to go somewhere else. And that is the operation. That's exactly right. But the operation offers you several abstraction layers within the operation to structure your code, you know, like the form object. So, for example, validations go into um, the form object, but callbacks to be triggered after your business logic is run go into the operation as well. So do the validations and other things that we're familiar with from Active Record look a lot like Active Record? They look identical because we use um, active model validations in the form object. Okay. And we also use them. Um, so soon we're going to have um, Lotus validations available in, um, in the form object as well, so you can pick if you want to use active model validations or Lotus validations. Lotus validations? Lotus validations. So Lotus is an alternative um, to Rails, similar to, well, in the same way that Sinatra is an alternative to Rails. So uh, basically Trailblazer is agnostic to the underlying framework? It actually is. So that's that's one of the things in all my gems, is that they are completely decoupled from the actual framework, and there's only a thin binding layer to use uh, my gem, oh, my gems in the respective framework. So, for example, Roar, which does um, document um, APIs, has a has a separate gem, Raw Rails, that provides the binding to Rails. And the same with Trailblazer. So, basically, an operation in Trailblazer could be run in um, any kind of environment because it's completely decoupled from the framework. So, that's one of my from my major points with my gems is to make them as agnostic as possible, which automatically results in a better encapsulation. It makes me wonder, when you're decoupling it from the framework, do you find that you've had to make any compromises or any sacrifices? Like, would it be better in any way if it was just, you know, made for Rails? Actually, the opposite is the case. So the more you decouple, or the more I decouple my stuff from, especially from Rails, the easier it gets for me to, to deal with updates and so we are not really sacrificing functionality because, I mean, we still use persistence, we still use all the awesomeness of active record, we still have controllers with all the, um, you know, like stuff like responders and all that stuff, but we introduce really strong interfaces between those different layers, and I think it's a good trade-off between encapsulation and still using all the goodies from the from the framework because, I mean, I love Rails, but I don't want to deal with every update and I don't want to follow Rails on GitHub and check out every every little update they make. So the more I encapsulate my own code with my gems, the the luckier I am. So one thing I'm seeing here is that you said you have an operation for every basically every action or every operation I guess you perform in your code. 
And it looks like you create these classes that are, I don't know what the right word is, but they're contained within the, the active record base class. Is there a reason you would put them there instead of se- separating each one into its own thing? So that's a, that, that's a big misunderstanding with putting the operations into the active record model namespace, because what I do in Trailblazer is just, I reuse the namespace of the model, for example, comment and then colon colon create is an operation or comment colon colon um, update but what i'm doing here is it's kind of a workaround because i want to i want to use the comment namespace in rails but the comment namespace is already taken by the model yeah so that's mm-hmm. um, a workaround to reuse this namespace but that does not couple the um, operation to the active record model not at all that's just right. really not even a trick, it's just a really way to, to reuse the namespace. Don't get confused, don't run away. No, I was, just, I was just trying to understand why you would put it in there as opposed to just putting it in its own file, etc. But that makes sense. So well, basically well, it is, your, it is your concern... Your, yeah, it is. But your concern is named the same thing as your model, is what you're saying. And so since your area of concern is a comment and that it's already taken up by the class name, in this case, yeah, but the thing is, in Trailblazer, we we have what we call concepts. So you said you said oh, concern. That's a beautiful. Concept. You know, yeah. concern is a beautiful name, but I don't want to use it because people might think I use. Uh, I'm talking about uh, about Rails concerns. Right. I'm not talking about this. So we we structure applications by concepts or concerns, and um, often it happens to be the same name as the uh, model. Yeah, but it, it's not. So y- your concern or your concept can be co- called whatever you want. But right. Like when you start with a Rails app, you start with CRUD operations, and that leads to the same name, the model namespace. Nick, I noticed that in the um, operation models that you have a process method, which is sort of like the general method, the, the public interface for that um, operation model. Do you find that it's really easy to turn that process method into procedural code, or do you break things out into, are you supposed to break things out into multiple methods? Um, so you definitely break things out to um, multiple methods, or you even, you, you're not limited to just put your code into process. Process is just the only public dispatch method. So you, you could definitely dispatch from there to, I don't know, like a DCI-oriented <laughs> class or whatever. So the process method should be small and declarative, yeah? So Trailblazer tries to give you structure, but what you do inside process is still something we have to play with and we have to find out the best practices because I'm sure we can do more in this uh, to, to give people even more structure. But um, so far, you're supposed to split stuff into methods and um, maybe even dispatch to another object within this operation, the process method. So one thing I'm seeing is that, say you create a create class and you create an update class for your active record model. Isn't there going to be a lot in common between the two? Between the active record model and what? No, between the create class and the update class. There is a lot of things in common, and that's why we use inheritance. So that's another big thing in Trailblazer is we actually use, we start using inheritance again, because that's what we unlearned in Rails is to use proper object orientation. So Trailblazer is designed to use inheritance to copy or to inherit form objects and policies and all that stuff to to subclasses like update or, um, I don't know, show. And uh, it's also designed to um, make it really simple to override certain aspects of that that original operation. For example, um, overriding properties in the contract or um, disabling validations for update or um, disabling uh, a policy in the update method and uh, in the update operation, all that kind of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about contracts? Yes, because um, I'm a lawyer. No, the the contracts in operations are actually a separate gem. That's the reform gem. That's a form object gem for Ruby, and it's really, really popular. So a lot of people start um, breaking out their validation code into separate form objects. So that's a reform. So the contract is basically you define what fields does my form consist of, like what input am I expecting, title, email, a nested author with another email field, and then you define validations for those fields, or you can even define um, validations um, like arbitrary validations or dynamic validations in that contract. So the contract wraps the model, deserializes the incoming input, validates the input without touching the model, and then, if you're happy and if everything is valid, you can write the fields, the content or the values 
to the actual model, but the contract doesn't know anything about active record and active record doesn't know anything about the contract. So what I'm, I'm wondering, and Jessica has asked us to ask in the chat room kind of the same question. If I come into an app that's using Trailblazer, how is it going to look different? How is the app going to change? Or what she asked was when you add a feature, how many of these MVC plus O typically change? Well, when you add a feature, you definitely do not want to look into controllers and you definitely do not want to look into models because um, it's boring and it's empty. So you go and check out the concepts, uh, the, the concept directory, and you, you, would, you will start with um, looking at the operation. In the operation, you instantly see, okay, this is my input because you have the form object or the contract, and you definitely see this is what's happening because the business logic is either sits directly in the operation or is dispatched from the operation. So you get away from this um, jumping through controllers, back to model, to view, back to controller, because that's in Rails, business logic is cluttered all over the MVC framework, and in, in Trailblazer, it's operation-oriented, a new buzzword. And uh, so you start with the operation, and there's a clear layering, so you don't have to guess, is the authorization happening in the controller and the model, where is the actual business logic? Where do the callbacks sit? Is stuff triggered from a before filter in a controller? No, you start with the operation, and in the operation, there's a convention, there's there's um, and defined well well defined abstraction layer, so you don't have to guess where stuff happens. So essentially, you're reducing the the need for metaprogramming on the part of the developer as well. Are you talking about um, uh, metaprogramming slash DSL uh, benefits in Trailblazer? Yeah, basically. The thing is, an operation basically gives you a really, really simple DSL to, for example, to register callbacks that should happen after you update a comment or something, and it gives you a, a simple DSL to define uh, policies or authorization, because authorization in Trailblazer is a business logic affair and not just something that happens <laughs> maybe in the controller, maybe in the model, maybe in the view, or maybe <laughs> everywhere. And, but the, the whole, like an operation looks like a DSL, but it's actually just a composition of different classes and every class has its own responsibility. There's actually not too much metaprogramming happening in, in Trailers. It's more about structuring. Like, here's a place for your policies. Here's a place for your uh, business logic. Here's a place for uh, callbacks. So you're reducing the surface area that you have to interact with as you're adding features to your application. Well, you add features, um, to an application and, um, instead of, I don't know, like, guessing where to put this kind of code, you you start with an operation and from there you have well-defined places to push your code to. And Trailblazer makes it very simple to start with a new concept or a new feature. And um, if, if it gets more complex, for example, if, if your authorization code gets too complex, you, you're free to introduce a new class or to, to dispatch to some other gem or whatever. So Trailblazer is just identifying what's happening in a web request. And that's usually the, the points I listed earlier, like validation, uh, authorization, all that kind of stuff. And then um, it still gives you a lot of freedom to, to structure your code for that particular um, layer or problem. Awesome. One other question that we yes. got on Twitter was, would DHH talk trash about Trailblazer? And if so, can you defend the objections you think you'd have? Uh, first of all, DHH is awesome because um, he keeps... Uh, so we keep emailing um, about... Um, my gems like sales or reform or trailblazer and he definitely had a look at it and um so i made a joke because he had this blog post saying that i don't know i think it was the tdd's dad or something and then um he uses the term a complex web of indirections and um uh, abstractions or something like that so i made a joke saying like okay for you trailblazer i guess is a complex web of indirections and he said absolutely but i can see where this could help in applications I mean, he's not going to use it, but he is definitely interested and he was uh, keen to learn more about it. And so is uh, a couple of other people from the Rails core team. So we had a panel at Tropical Ruby with um, Rafael Franza and Carlos Antonio and Celso Fernandez, but he was on the Trailblazer side. And they were really, really interested in a lot of things in Trailblazer. So it's not like I'm building something against Rails. This is like, here's Rails, Rails is awesome, but let's make it better. Got it. Um, it does seem like there is a lot of indirection here. I mean, you've got, you're essentially creating classes where you would just put your logic into models before. That's not a, exactly a fair characterization of what's going on, but I can see people thinking that. 
So what is, I mean, besides kind of encapsulating the behavior of particular forms and things like that, and, and having that isolated and having those concepts well contained, why would you need this extra layer of indirection on these different pieces of your application? Well, there's several points. So the, my, my main thing is that I, I wrote a lot of gems and um, like form objects or view models or um, data transformation objects and all that kind of stuff. And people, a lot of people love them, yeah? So, so they, because it's, it makes it really easy to understand what is happening because you have little objects with a limited scope. So you don't have a, a beast like active record and all your logic sits in this model and you have to understand every aspect of active record. No, what happens is you deserialize incoming data. That happens in a separate object. Then you have your data object. Then you run validations, which happens in another object. After the validations is run, you do your business logic. And if one of the steps fails, or if you need to dive into something, you don't have to learn everything. You just have your limited object with your limited scope. And it makes it very easy to understand what's going on, even though you have more objects. And this is actually applied object orientation. So limit the abilities, the capabilities, and the responsibility of objects and make them do one thing and not 500 things. And also, it is easier to replace layers of your workflow. So if I want to do my authorization with uh, another gem, it is really easy to swap that layer. And one thing I have to say is a lot of people are really, really afraid of introducing objects and classes because of performance. But what people do not understand is that every string, every bloody string in your Rails app is an object. And Ruby doesn't care if it's a string or if it's a form object or if it's a view model. Yeah, so, so objects in Ruby are cheap. Especially when you get the, the benefit of knowing exactly where an individual piece of code, where an individual piece of logic lives. Exactly. And this is, um, this is like, so I started using Rails and the first thing I hated was, um, that you spread, that everything is distributed over the entire stack. So deserialization happens, happens in model, happens in controller, validation might be in the controller and the view and the model. And so you have no idea where this actually happens because in, within Rails core, they also have this fear of the class, as I call it. Like they don't even use separate objects for validation. It all happens in the, in the active record names, uh, in the active record model. And it is incredibly hard to understand what's going on. And, um, if you use a well-defined workflow with separate encapsulated objects, it is incredibly simple to understand what's going on once you, once you understand the, the individual objects. I'm going to coin a new term here for what, for what Trailblazer seems to enforce, and I'm going to call it single responsibility principle. I've never heard of it. I like the term, though. How's it turn to it? Yeah, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. Single response, what? So one other thing that I worry about is basically, and I hear this argument for other frameworks, other types, but the argument is people understand Rails, and if they come in here, then they're going to have to figure out how to use Trailblazer. So it adds this extra layer of complexity or another layer of APIs that I have to understand in order to use Trailblazer in my application. So I can't just hire any Rails developer to do this work. This is um, a thing I don't see the way you see it, because... I have seen many, many Rails apps, and every Rails app looks completely different. Some people use this, some people use that, some people use presenters, decorators, some use form objects, some use uh, uh, service objects, and then the service objects have different APIs. So people say that Rails has structure and convention, but it does not, because it doesn't... I mean, I know where controllers sit, and I know where models sit, and I know how views are supposed to look like, but it's incredibly hard if you get a new developer. They still have to learn how you structure your Rails app, because in the company he worked or they worked before, it might have been completely different. And Trailblazer is addressing exactly that. It's introducing standards and conventions for the high-level application code. So in the end, I mean, of course you have to learn what is a form object, what is a what is an operation, but once you got it, it's easier to, if you go to another company and they use Trailblazer, you, you will find your way through the code way faster than if it's just another Rails app with... Uh, I don't know, our our own service object, and here's our own decorators and all that stuff. So it is all about give me conventions for, for my application code. Nick, I think that's a great point. Because in my experience, if you find yourself asking yourself, which clearly everyone who uses Rails does, 
does this logic belong here or here? Usually the answer is neither. It belongs someplace entirely new, and it sounds like Trailblazer is providing this logic finally has some place to belong. Exactly. Well said. Because, um, I, I mean, I, I, I keep repeating that phrase, but Trailblazer is all about where do I put this kind of code? Because that's what I hear from from all the development teams I've worked with. Is like, okay, now we got Rails, now we got the controller and the model. So does that go into the controller or does does that go into the model? So it usually ends up in the model. But as you said, the, the right answer is this is not model logic, this is not persistence, and this is not HTTP related. So give it a new um, object. And this is exactly what Trailblazer brings. Is like, so we basically identified what's missing, what 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 layers are missing, authentic uh, authorization, um, view objects, um, validation, all that kind of stuff. And once you understand the different layers, and it's not like we introduced twenty five new layers, it's like three, four, five new layers. Once you understand them, you instantly know where to put code. Yeah, and I think that's where the struggle comes in. And you know what what Jessica said and what you said really comes in for me because usually what we're saying is does this go in the model or does this go in the controller? And the answer is neither. And then it's like, okay, well, we don't have a convention for that. And that's that's what Trailblazer gives you. Yeah, exactly. That's, um, um, I mean, Trailblazer is is a collection of gems that have been around for, for years, yeah? And um, a lot of gems in Trailblazer are really popular because they give you a new place for code for a particular concern or for a particular area of solving a problem. And um, that's what I'm missing in Rails, and that's what I'm still missing in Rails, and no one talks about this. And um, a funny thing is that DHH, in his keynote on RailsConf, he was talking about monoliths and um, how awesome monoliths are, and I agree, because I don't think we need seven different Rails apps to solve one problem, but a monolith is for, for I don't know, for DHH or for vanilla Rails, is an excuse to clutter your code and push all the different responsibilities into three buckets, MVC. Whereas um, in Trailblazer, you still have a monolith if you want that, but you you have a clearly separated abstraction of, of solving problems. So a monolith is, not, is for, for DHH is an excuse to not introduce abstraction layers, and that's exactly what Trailblazer addresses. Is like you can have one Rails app, but you have a beautiful structure to solve all kinds of problems in a web application. So, Nick, one of the problems with monoliths is that they're notoriously difficult to test. How does Trailblazer address testing, and what are good test strategies for Trailblazer? Ah, testing is my favorite area. So, in Trailblazer, so since we structure um, code into operations, you basically test your operations, and you test all kinds of edge cases using operations. Yeah, I mean, you can still have unit tests for um, separate objects. Like, let's say you have a, an invoice generator that generates a PDF so um, you can write separate unit tests, but your actual high-level functions in, in Rails, you um, test using um, operation tests. And you also don't use factories anymore, arbitrary factories, but you use operations to create a test environment. And that gives you a production close or an identical environment to the production code. And this is something I've been, that, that drove me crazy in a lot of Rails apps is that people mock and use factories and create some application state that might be uh, similar to the production code but might not be because they mock this and that. And in operations, if you run an operation, it creates the identical environment that it creates in production. It is slower, but that is not a problem because you throw more RAM and more CPU at the test. So I have a question. So it sounds like you're you're making a really good case for, for Trailblazer and kind of all the awesome things that it does. And I'm wondering... Is there a use case for not using that? Like, are there any kind of very clear situations where it's it's much better for me to just stick with the regular Rails? No, always. <laughs> <laughs> There's never a trade-off ever. Yeah. <laughs> Writing code. You need you need the complex web of, of interactions everywhere. No, um, the thing is, um, and I say this in in the Trailblazer book and on the on the readme as well is um, Trailblazer is what I call non intrusive. So you can use Trailblazer where you find it's necessary. But if you start with a really simple app, you're happy, you're fine to use, um, to just use your model and t just use your controller. But after five lines of code, you will see, hmm, I don't want this sitting in my controller. And that's where you introduce the operation and uh, all the goodies it brings. But I've written a couple of apps with Trailblazer. I've seen a lot of apps um, because it's actually already in use in a lot of production apps. And uh, people stick to the operation uh, 
to the operation uh, structuring right from the get go. So I've, I haven't seen that, like once people use an operation, they use it everywhere. And that's, that's pretty interesting. So if I have some big gnarly Rails app that is a complete mess, you know, it's kind of like the canonical example of a poorly managed monolith, the ones that people are like, oh, I need to break this up into services or, uh, I need to just go and rewrite this as a as another monolith. How instead would you work on making the transition into this and watching it solve your problems? So you have a um, existing legacy Rails app, and um, you want to change it to a better structure. That's so usually you you start replacing functions or controller actions with um, introducing an operation for that very yeah, function or action, and um, it's a bit tricky at the moment because you're uh, you're supposed to move out validations from existing validations from models into operations or into the contract and you're also um, moving business logic from controller and model into operations so and there's still problems because sometimes people still need the validations in the model and all that kind of stuff but um, Trailblazer tr or Reform tries to solve that by copying validations into the contract instead of uh, making them making you move them physically and um, so it, software development is always tricky. So basically what you do is you start to introduce um, concepts and operations where was um, models and controller code. Does that answer your question? I think so. I, I think what I'm hearing is that uh, you start toward the outside on things like your controller actions and you start building operations to handle those controller actions and then you just work your way down so that your business logic that's encapsulated in both the controller and the model, including validations and other things, wind up in the operation so that the next time that you deploy or the next time that it's handled, it's still handled by mostly the same code. It's just that it's been arranged in a place where you can easily find it and modify it and uh, maintain your app a little bit uh, more nicely. Yeah, absolutely. So if you just replace one um, action or one controller action with um, another um, associated functionality into one operation, you might not see the benefit yet because um, you basically, as you just said, you're just moving code to new um, abstraction layers. Um, I mean, once you use a form object, you never want to go back to having your validations in the model. So, so people, use, so usually the code shrinks already because of the form object, and then once you use callbacks, in uh, once you remove the callbacks from your model and put them into the operation. This is where you start to really understand what how Trailblazer helps you to reduce conditionals and all that kind of stuff. Because um, I mean, validations and callbacks and models are horrible because they get triggered in every context, and sometimes you reuse a model in in different contexts. Yeah, and in Trailblazer, this is handled in different op in different operations or in with inheritance and polymorphism, and that's where you start to realize, wow, this saves me actually a lot of code and it gives me a lot of structure because I don't have to introduce conditioners and deciders in my in my models and my controllers, but I just use polymorphism within my operations. So the uh, callbacks are scoped to operations? Yeah, exactly. So what what makes me what drives me crazy about models is and, and callbacks is they get triggered at some sometimes they get triggered and you don't want them to get triggered because I don't want to I don't know. I don't when I update I don't want to I don't want, want them to send out emails or that kind of stuff. And then Trailblazer you introduce a separate operation class if you need that function. If you need um, if you need to update without sending out callbacks, you introduce a new a new operation where you disable the callbacks or where you disable a certain callback because the callbacks are defined on the operation and not on the model anymore. The model is just stupid persistence. It's it's awesome. I love it. Right. So you get all the flexibility that you want. Basically, in a sense, by subclassing or building around uh, well. Let me back up. So you're getting you're getting different behaviors for different ways of accessing your uh, your model, so to speak, by by creating different operations for different situations. Exactly. So what you call situation is what I call context. So for example, a logged in admin user might have different behavior or might expect different behavior when updating that than a um, signed in um, user and all that kind of stuff. So I call it context. And uh, contexts are handled with subclassing and polymorphism instead of cluttering your code with ifs and else and 
and uh, deciding whether or not to run this callback or run that validation or run this and that method. So this is in, in and people are uh, when they the first time they see that they they are um, shocked about oh my god I'm creating a new class but in Trailblazer classes map to contexts and in Rails contexts map to conditionals and conditionals suck. If that's not enough of a selling point right there, I don't know what is. Yeah, no kidding. If if you fought those, uh, just the complexity of okay, when does this happen? How does this happen? Okay, under this circumstances, but not this other. I mean, once you get more than two, three, four branches in there, it's just, okay, how do I keep all this in my head? And just by saying, oh, it just follows this process, you know, then it's just one, you know, one set of behaviors that define the entire process. Yeah, it's um, maybe that's a good way of putting it. Is um, An operation is a set of behavior for a certain context. And if you want to change that behavior for because the context changes you use um you i mean you can still have ifs and else in your operation you just use one monolithic operation for all kinds of context if you want that but i hate that so so basically every operation class maps to a different set of behaviors which maps to a, a separate context so i have to ask one other thing and that is that rails 5 is coming out i don't know exactly when but it's coming. Have you been working on Trailblazer to get it to play nicely with Rails 5? Or is there just not a lot you have to do there? <laughs> the thing is, nothing has changed in Rails since uh, 1.2.3. I mean, we still have no <laughs> high-level architecture, and that's good for Trailblazer because uh, every time Rails um, brings us a major upgrade, they, in my opinion, and I've been working with Rails for since 1.2.3, is that all we get is new features like Turbolinks or action cable or um, I don't know the asset pipeline but that's all unrelated to my application code so Rails does not give us application code abstraction which is good for me because I don't have to worry about um, fixing that in uh, or making that compatible with Trailblazer the Trailblazer is completely decoupled from Rails and the form object doesn't know about Rails and I mean Rails 5 in my opinion nothing has changed, I mean, when it comes to, to um, application code, because we still don't have any abstraction. So that's great for me, because it's less work. But um, Rails 5, I think uh, I think we're already running uh, tests against uh, the release candidates or against the uh, master code. So there's nothing has changed. So that leads me to a question, Nick. What does the team of maintainers look like for Trailblazer? Is it just you, or do you have associates you're also working with? Well, that's a... That's a oh. I mean, I've... I've been working on, on, on all those gems like cells or reform or roar for, um, I, I would say last decade. And it's basically a one man army with, um, some, like some people that su- who've supported me for a couple of years. Like, uh, for example, one of the two people I want to mention are, uh, uh, Zoyros and Celso Fernandez. So those guys, um, have been helping me for, uh, for years now. But still a lot of, I mean, because I'm really opinionated on uh, structuring my gems. So usually when I get a pull request, I usually, I mean, I merge it, but then I restructure it internally to fit into the uh, architecture or to extend the architecture. I mean, there's, I would say there's at least a hundred contributors in all, uh, across all the gems. Yeah. But, um, in the end, I have to do all the, all the hard work and it's a bit frustrating because it's, it's shitloads of work. I mean, uh, I got 21 gems and I have to like work on all those gems and I have to write documentation and I have to write the book and I have to also have to work on a daytime job because I'm not Aaron Patterson or not DHH or someone who gets paid for open source yet. So APIs are pretty much a hot thing now with the move to service-oriented architectures. How good is Trailblazer at how appropriate would it be to use it for building an API? So Trailblazer is actually perfect if you want to write them. Um, if you want to write an application for a document API, because so we also use the raw gem, which is really popular for uh, APIs. Or I mean, because raw does both ways. It does not only render documents like Active Model Serializer. It also does parse incoming documents into object graphs. And so what had what what's the plan? Or actually, what's actually already working in Trailblazer is you can so the parsing and rendering works with what we call representers. And the representer can be inferred from the contract because the contract usually has the same structure than uh, the than the actual uh, document. And uh, so you can infer the representer automatically from the contract. You can extend it. You can add hypermedia and all that kind of stuff, all the cool stuff. 
to the representer. And then, so you deserialize incoming data using the representer. You validate it using the form object and then you run your business logic. So, and that's, that's all integrated in, in Trailblazer. Um, in a really simple way, because we still use separate objects to do all the different tasks, like deserialization or validation. And um, in the end, it, it basically feels like you're working on a on an HTML form, but it's actually code to handle um, JSON API or whatever. So that's a, that's a big um, selling point for Trailblazer is how we handle um, document APIs. And we use the same code for rendering and for parsing, which is something I completely miss in Rails because... Rendering happens using AMS, and then parsing happens in the middleware somewhere, in the appearance parser, and then you deserialize an object graph in your controller, you add uh, nested authors to the comment and all that kind of stuff. And this all happens in RAW, this all happens using a representer. And um, I find the code is way cleaner, and you have way less um, manual work to do with, um, doc with document APIs, because... Parsing incoming documents is a big problem in API code. So API code is not only about rendering JSON. I mean, we have great gems for that. The problem is how do we deserialize code? And that's what Trailblazer or Roar addresses in a really clean and, um, again, encapsulated way. So let's say that somebody isn't sold on Trailblazer and they just want to use some of these pieces. Can you talk about what the different parts of Trailblazer are and what they do? So Trailblazer basically consists of um, the operation, and the operation is currently sits in um, the actual Trailblazer gem, because the gem name operation is already taken. And if the author of the operation gem listens to this podcast, please give me that gem name. And um, the form object or the contract in Trailblazer is um, reform. It's handled by reform. So reform is a separate gem, as I said earlier, for um, handling forms for... Um, defining forms and validating forms and syncing or saving the fields to um, models. Reform is um, in the process of becoming 2.0 because I'm, I'm uh, restructuring the way um, Reform works and it's going to be less less code and, um, again, better structuring. And then um, um, the thing I just mentioned, RAR, is an optional part of um, Trailblazer. So RAR helps you to define representatives for um, document APIs. So it helps you rendering JSON or XML or YAML or whatever you want, because YAML APIs are awesome. <laughs> and it also helps you to deserialize incoming data into object graphs. That's, again, it's a completely separate gem, and Reform doesn't know anything about RAW and all that stuff. And then uh, another gem we use um, extensively, which is also optional, is um, Cells, which is uh, view models for your view, because we didn't talk about the view layer yet. But, um, again, view layers in Rails end up usually in a partial helper filter nightmare. And um, view models in cells give you a new abstraction layer where you have objects that represent widgets in your UI. And those widgets are Ruby classes, and they don't know anything about action uh, controller, and action controller doesn't know anything about the widgets. So again, strong encapsulation. And it's really, really popular. It just reached half a million downloads on Ruby gems. I'm just shaking my own hand. <laughs> So most of the gems in Trailblazer are um, optional, so you don't have to use representers, and you don't have to use Trailblazer if you don't like the way, um, I don't know, uh, form objects work. So the, the point of, of, of my architectural um, idea is make stuff optional, make it um, well encapsulated so the different layers don't know about each other, or if they know about each other, then there's only one direction of um, knowledge and not um, bidirectional. And this yields to uh, this yields in in um a really clean setup for um trailblazer and also in a really um nice way of selling people to trailblazer by just moving them to reform or to cells and suddenly they use reform and cells and suddenly they use reform and raw and cells and then they ask me like okay where, where do we put the actual business code because it's like i mean your stuff is cool but there's still something missing and, I'm, and then i show them the operation pattern and so on so um by maintaining um all those yeah, um, workflow steps in different gems. I make it easy for people to dive into that architectural pattern uh, without having to learn everything from the get-go. So one last question, and this is related to Rails. One of the features that I, a lot of people I talk to either love or hate are generators. So are there generators that will generate the, the models and uh, all of the other pieces of Trailblazer? when I do like a Rails uh, generate scaffold or Rails generate model or Rails generate operation, maybe? Mm, yes and no. 
because um, I mean, I think I'm not sure actually. I think there's a pull request sitting out there. I couldn't go and work on my open source gems for the last 12 weeks because I've been uh, speaking and drinking. So we got um, we got generators, but the whole point about um, Trailblazer is to make generators. Um, I mean, a redundant concept because lots of the code, uh, a lot of code can be automatically inferred or um, can be um, convention driven. So, for example, you, in my ideal um, vision is we don't need controllers anymore. We don't need um, uh, standard views anymore. All that kind of stuff can be uh, inferred from your um, operations. So, uh, I mean, you can still have an, a generator for an operation. But Trailblazer aims to make you write less code, so I'm not the biggest fan of generators. All right, well, let's go ahead and do picks then. Uh, Saran, do you want to start us with picks? Sure. So I have, uh, I think I have three that I like. One is tech-related, two are, like, not really. Um, so the first one is this blog post that I really, really like called A Gentleman's Guide to Street Harassment, and it's by a guy and he's he kind of explains it and talks about it in just a really really smart way and i've never really heard or read anyone uh describe the problem and the issues around street harassment quite the way that he did and it, it, it was just very very well done so if you're wondering like what the big deal is and why does it matter that a guy tells me i'm like cute on the street read this and it will all make sense to you my other one is called Tor and HTTPS, and this one is from the Tor Project, and it's a really, really good, uh, I guess, diagram that explains kind of what happens to your information when you use Tor, when you use HTTP, and when you use HTTPS. And it talks about, like, you know, what someone in your Wi-Fi network gets to see, what, like, the NSA gets to see, what your ISP gets to see. And uh, it's a really nice, clean visual that kind of just tells you what happens to your information and who gets access to what based on, you know, what you use. And I really like that one. And my last one, which is kind of just for fun, is, oh my god, it's so funny. Um, it's called How It Feels to Watch a User Test Your Product for the First Time. And it's like this, <laughs> it's a gif of, of a guy trying to, like, drink from a cup of water, but he doesn't know how to use the cup of water, so he just kind of looks ridiculous. And it's just, it's so accurate when you, you know, you put the product out for the first time and you're trying to, you're watching it and you don't want to say how it's supposed to work because it should be intuitive. So I think a lot of developers really appreciate it. That's all I got. Very nice. Coraline, what are your picks? Sure. My first one is um, a new website called humanedevelopment.org. It's based on a series of talks that Ernie Miller has been giving at several conferences. It's essentially a manifesto. His core principle is that we are humans working with humans to develop software for the benefit of humans. It uh, states the need for development organizations to embrace four basic principles, those of empathy, honesty, trust, and autonomy, and how by doing so, that makes the workforce and our feelings about our jobs much, much more productive, more happy, uh, more effective. My second pick is The Left Hand of Darkness, which has just been released um, as a radio program on BBC Radio. It's a radio dramatization of Ursula Gwynn's novel from 1969. If you haven't read it, Left Hand of Darkness was very groundbreaking in its approach to gender, and it's very relevant, um, to, to just as relevant today as it was 45 years ago. It's really great sci-fi with incredible humanity from a really brilliant feminist writer. Very cool. I've, I've enjoyed some of her other books, so... I've got a couple of picks. Uh, the first one is uh, I watched a trailer for Star Wars 7. I'm super excited. So yeah, so I'm going to pick that. I think you just go to star, starwars.com or something and see it. And then I'm also going to pick a utility I've been using called Workflowy. I have tried just about every task management for like my personal to-dos under the sun. And none of them seem to really fit. And Workflowy seems a little bit more freeform, which I think is going to be helpful. So I'm going to pick that. And I also just want to pick the episode that uh, I wasn't on with Dave Thomas about limerence. I just, I loved that episode. And so I'm going to pick that as well. And finally, I want to let everybody know that the JS Remote Conf talks are up. So if you're interested in like ES6 or Angular, we had the Angular core team do a Q&A. If you're interested in all kinds of different web development stuff, there's a talk on Ember. There's another talk on Angular. I talked about freelancing. John Sanmez, who was on the show before, talked about uh, marketing yourself as a software developer. Uh, just a bunch of great talks. So I'll put a link to that playlist in on YouTube in the show notes, and then you can go check it out. But definitely go check out Jessica's talk, because it was awesome, too. So yeah, so those are my picks. Nick, what are your picks? 
so my first pick is uh, obviously um, the Trailblazer book, which is on LeapHub, and it's uh, six chapters, and it's going to have uh, a couple of more chapters soon because I'm back from my conference trip. So if you want to support my stuff, please buy it now, not in five years. And my second pick is the Cinco FaceTime Party Snoozer, which is a commercial, like a fake commercial on the internet about um, a mask you put on and it gives five distinct voice responses um, at the party so you can sleep and the mask answers to people and once you watch the commercial, you will uh, use those <laughs> distinct voice responses in your everyday life. So my uh, last pick is the Synco FaceTime Party Snoozer, really popular amongst uh, Ruby developers. Very cool. If people want to know more about Trailblazer or about you and what you're working on, how do they do that? They friend me on Skype and call me, or they visit me in uh, Byron Bay or in Sydney, or they meet me at conferences, or they just email me. And that's apodonic at gmail.com. All right. Well, thanks for coming. We're going to wrap up the show. We'll catch everyone next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlay.